What's up? Cool, thanks for the two. Hey, so before we get started, I just got to throw something out real fast. Um, I was telling some of the team this earlier. There are um, times where I'm just not in a good mood. Anybody else? Yeah? Okay. Just just me? I didn't see any girls raise their hand. That's a lie. Um, just saying. There's been times, just not often, but times I'm just not in a good mood. <clears throat> and even more um, random is times where I'm just not in a good mood and like, I don't know why. Most times I can figure it out. I'm mad because this. I'm frustrated because this. So today, all day I've been anxious. I've been super nervous. Some of the things like Matthew, like, did Kyle tell you what's wrong with Matthew? Okay, so he's uh, thought it was food poisoning, now it's a stomach bug. So uh, thank you so much for Colin Carey filling in last minute because he, uh, if he was here, he'd have to be wearing the pins, if you know what I'm saying. No one wants that. Uh, if you don't know what I'm saying, go home and Google it. So he's not here. Maybe there's anxiousness and then all these details. But here's what I really think is happening. Before we even get started, before we open scripture or anything like that, um, often there's a, there's a feeling in me that I really like carry you guys' burdens. That makes sense. That like for some reason, the Lord just kind of lets me feel what a lot of you guys are feeling and, and some brokenness and some despair um, and just some outright crap that, that some of you guys are going through. And so today I had no reason to feel that way. We had no plans. The kids were playing. We just had fun laying around the house. I was downstairs just finishing up on my sermon. Things were going well. Uh, but just this overarching feeling of just uh, anxious, like I was running out of time, that if I didn't get things done well, then like it's all going to be on me. That, um, so I, before we get started, and you don't have to raise your hand. We're not like whatever. If you want to, that's fine. But did anybody walk into this room just feeling really heavy-hearted tonight? Okay, like, again, I'm not like, trying to get charismatic and read your mind because I can't do that. Uh, I'm an idiot. I can't read my wife's mind. I know I can't read your mind. But something's happening to where I think um, we're all feeling a pressure that's not from the Lord. And maybe I know college students should go in final time. I know a lot of us are coming out of Thanksgiving break and really don't like our family. And so maybe there's just some awkward family tension happening. Uh, I don't know, but before we even start to get into Scripture, can we stop and pray just that, that this cloud of heaviness would go away? Is that fair? Uh, does anyone just have anything specific I can pray for before we get started? I know some of you, this is freaking you out, and that's okay. This isn't always normal, but I just feel like there's some kind of spiritualness happening. Yeah, bro? Okay. Anybody? Yeah, probably not. Anybody else? Carlton? Direction and guidance. Direction and guidance. Do you want to share any more? Yeah, I need direction and guidance. Oh, <laughs> you need. I didn't catch that part. Okay. Sorry. Cool, cool. No, you're, you're good, good. <laughs> I didn't think you <laughs> Anybody else? Yes. Hmm. You said liver? Did y'all hear that? Grandpa has liver cancer. Anybody else? Yes. Hmm. 
Yeah, this explains a lot. Anybody else? Yes. Upcoming surgery? Belts? Well, let me pray. Um, if, if there's more going on, we can definitely talk afterwards, but um, let's just spend some time in prayer before we open God's word. <clears throat> Father, we are um, grateful that you're just that, that you're a father that we can turn to, um, that you love us, and God, that you support us and you provide for us. And God, you care. There is um, a lot of hurt and brokenness and confusion here tonight. God, there's, there's more questions than answers. We're unrestless, we're confused, we're hurt, we're burdened, and we're broken. And Father, no one is immune from that. And so God, tonight what we're asking for is for you to do what your word promises and for you to um, be the good father that loves and comforts and encourages and supports us. And Father, because we can't do any of this on our own. There's a lot who have gone before us and and tried and there's even us, we're trying to do everything we can on our own power and our own abilities and it's not working. And we've turned to this and we've turned to that and we've turned to all these different ways and it's still not working. We're still confused. We're still hurt. We're still broken. And God, we know that only peace comes from you, that only joy comes from you. And so tonight, God, would you uh, give us a fresh eyes to see how you've created things? Would you draw near to the brokenhearted, those that are broken, uh, that are confused, that are worried, that are anxious? God, would you draw near to those and comfort them? God, because we, we need you. We desperately need you. We know that we're weak. We know we can't do any of this on our own. And so, Father, we're asking that you would come tonight. God, that you would do what only you can do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke. There we go. If you don't own a Bible, there should be some Bibles around you. Man, take one of those. That's our gift for you. Um, but flip into Luke 5 is where we're going to land. <clears throat> Luke 5. So we have two simple rules at our house. Uh, we've got four kids. Maybe that's why I'm brokenhearted. Um, I didn't mean it that way, but you can maybe take it that way. If anyone ever says four kids are easy, punch them in the face for me. Because it's not. Um, my wife is Brian here. She's a champ. You're a champ. I just need to tell you that. You're a champ. She's what makes it easy. So uh, we have four kids, and so my wife and I just kind of created this simple plan of two rules. We only ask for two things. Uh, Out of our kids, only two things. And to this point, most of our kids have followed them. Um, I'm going to kind of talk about my one-year-old Emerson for a little while. She can't understand this, but if she ever like stumbles onto the recordings of these sermons, then she's going to have to go to counseling for this. But um, our our two simple rules are to love and obey, right? Have you all ever heard this? Anyone have to follow those two? 
I mean, that's it. We feel like everything falls under that category of love and obey. If you love others, if you love yourself, you'll be fine. And if you obey what mom and dad ask you to do, what your teachers ask you to do, um, you'll be fine. Love, love and obey. That's the too big. And really, if you wanted to simplify it, you could just say love. Obedience comes out of love. But love and obey is our two big rules at our house. Um, Emerson does not, for the love of everything that's holy, understand this concept of obedience. Um, and as a one-year-old, I know that maybe like they're not supposed to, uh, but I see some problems on our horizon if we don't uh, start to address these things. Um, she's what I call a runner. Has anyone ever seen a runner? So they know what they're doing is wrong, and you turn the corner, and her eyes get really big, and instead of like, I'm sorry, here's this, she takes off hauling it through the hallway. Was, any, was that anybody you like growing up? Okay, does anyone still do that? Just curious. Like someone catch you doing something wrong, like, ah, ah, just start running. That would that'd be pretty funny. I don't know what to do with my hands, so I'm just going to run. <clears throat> and so what we're trying to beat into our kids, um, figuratively and literally sometimes, is this idea of obedience, okay? Uh, for us, obedience is a huge pillar. It just makes sense. And what we're going to see in Luke 5 um, is this fact of uh, obedience comes from the Lord. Obedience is a really good thing for us. I would even say that obedience is one of the crutches of the gospel, that it doesn't get much more complicated. People want to talk about theology and quote this guy and this old did dude and make, make Christianity all kind of complex and all that, but it's really not. Christianity is not a difficult thing to understand. It all boils down to obedience. That's one of the huge pillars of our faith. Um, so Luke 5, picking up in verse 1, is where we want to camp out. Um, so I'm going to read all of it, and then, uh, well, no, we'll just kind of start exegeting it straight from the top. I'll read a little bit, talk a little bit, we'll have fun a little bit, and then pray a little bit, and go home for a little bit. A little bit. Let me say that one more time. We're good? Luke 5, starting in verse 1. I even got fancy tonight and made some PowerPoints. Woohoo! You're welcome. There it is. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gesinnerat, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about Jesus just getting onto the scene of ministry. He was casting out demons. He was healing diseases. He was healing sickness. So what people were doing were bringing all kind of, if you had any ailment, any sickness, any disease, people were rushing to Jesus saying, hey, this guy's got a broken leg. This guy has a leprosy. This guy has a disease, has a fire. He's got demon possessed. Like, take care of this. Would you heal this? And Jesus was doing it. Um, so what do you think was going to start following Jesus around? A crowd, right? So from here until his death, every time Jesus was anywhere, there was a crowd around him. People wanted to hear him. They wanted to see what Jesus did. They wanted to understand more. So there's always a crowd around Jesus. And Luke 5, 1 tells us that they were pressing in on him so much so that he had to jump in a boat to start preaching that the crowd was going to overtake him. They were literally going to push him into the water because so many people were trying to get to Jesus to hear the message that Jesus is preaching that he said, I'm going to drown. Oh, not really because he could walk on water, but uh, that's later. I'm going to get in a boat and sit down because that's what rabbis would do. And I'm going to teach everyone from the boat. That way I don't get mauled to death because it's not my time to die. So I'm going to hop in this boat, people pressing in, then I'm going to preach. So that's kind of where we pick up. Verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simeon's, or Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, have you guys ever had that person or people group that want to come tell you how to do your job? You know what I'm talking about? That you're just minding your own business, you're not doing anything, you're not bothering anybody, you're just working along, and someone wants to come up and tell you, you're doing that wrong, and you can do it better. Right? Okay, so I, my wife is the sweetest wife ever, but I almost saw the devil unleashed on her last night, or yesterday. We were trying to, it's, that's not bad, it's good. We were trying to leave the parade. Um, 99% of the time, my family knows nothing of what I'm going to share. Imagine that anxiety sitting through a sermon. So we were at the parade yesterday morning, the children's health care parade. It was awesome. We were getting ready to leave. We've got four kids. We're trying to put all the kids together. My wife has Carolee on her, which is a four-week-old newborn. And a lady walks up to her and says, if you would move, we could move. If you get out of our way, you, would stop the, you wouldn't stop the flow of traffic. Whew, right? You want to talk about what you're feeling, boo? No, yeah. It wasn't good. So here's my wife, baby in chest, on chest, in this region, minding her own business, not doing anything, and some lady thought that she should come speak up and say, if you would just move, everyone could get where we're going. Right? Or how about this? Um, how many of you grew up playing football? All right, two people. I was quarterback in seventh grade. That's, that's it, like not even like a real season, just like the spring season, okay? But Super Bowl rolls around. SEC championship was yesterday. You're screaming at the TV telling the coach how to do his job, right? Everyone does it. You're stupid, coach. If I were a coach, I would do this. Really? How many days of football did you play? And Madden on Game Boy or whatever does not count. How much did you actually play football? Because that guy grew up playing football, played D1 college football, not like North Georgia. We don't even have a football team. Like D1 college, then went to the pros, and now he's a professional coach. But no, you're right. You're right. You should call him and tell him how to do his job. Right? Like we always do this. So imagine the fishermen who are listening to a carpenter. So Jesus is just walking into being a rabbi. Before that, he was a carpenter. He picked up his parents or his father's trade. Jesus gets done teaching and turns to them and says, hey, why don't, let's go out there and fish a little bit. They've been fishing all night. They're tired. They're hungry. They just want to go home. No, man, like you're a fool. We're not going to do that, but let's keep going. But at your word, we said, master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down our nets. And some specific things we need to pick up here. Uh, because Jesus had put out into the deep and let down your nets. The fishermen were just coming in from fishing. So back in that day, there's two distinctions of fishermen. They fished all night, and they fished the flats, or they fished the, the shallow waters. That's how they caught fish. And so what Jesus is doing is, hey, I'm a carpenter, but I know better. Let's go out to the deep, and let's go out during the day. You're a fool. I mean, sometimes, do you guys ever have that temptation where I'm just going to do this just to prove you wrong so we can move on? You guys have that feeling? I know you're wrong. I'm just going to do it. That way I can rub it in your face that you're wrong, and then I'll win and everyone. So part of me just wonders if that's what Simon and these fishermen were doing. Like, Jesus, I know you just taught everything, and people are amazed, and you can do all that stuff, but you don't know fishing. So let me get out here, and we'll just cast the nets. Oh, you're wrong, Jesus. Go preach your message and leave us alone. 
But I love, if we can just, if you underline, if you circle, if you anything, you've got to circle 5-5. Five, five. Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. This is where we're going to camp out tonight. At your word, I will let down your nets. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand why. Um, this is not how we do things historically. We're successful fishermen. We're tired. We're hungry. We've already cleaned all of our nets. Everything is put away. We're ready to go home and see our wife and kids. But because you say so, another translation says, because you say so, because you've asked us to do this, we're going to let down our nets. Let's see what happens. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they filled both boats so that the boats began to sink. Who knows fishing now, right? Right? But do you think this has anything to do about fishing strategy? No. No. Do you think Jesus had a depth finder attached to his ranger bass boat and said, no, no, I've circled around this a time or two. That's where the fish are. Some of you don't know what a depth finder or a ranger is, and that's fine. But, no, there's something more going on, and verse 8 explains it to us. But when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw all the fish, when he saw the nets breaking, when he saw the boats sinking because of all the fish— when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So when a miracle happens, when Jesus shows up, it scares it out of him, right? It scares everything out. He's terrified. He falls on his face because he thinks he's done. Um, let me reference back to Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 5. When uh, Isaiah saw the king, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. So Simon and Isaiah both are saying, I see you as king, I see you as God, and I don't even need to be here. Because of the miracle that you just did in front of me, I'm terrified and I'm scared for my life, and just, just spare me for a second. That's the power of seeing the king. I don't know what you think it's going to be like when we get to heaven. You're just going to walk up and high-five Jesus and like, hey man, where's the food at? But when we see King Jesus for the first time, when we really start to understand who he is, it should terrify us what he's capable of. Yes, is he loving? Yes. Is he powerful? Yes. That's a, that's a combination of the king. Fully powerful and full of love. So Simon Peter says, no, no, like, I see what you did. I doubted you. I didn't believe what you said. I didn't believe this was going to happen. I was just coming out here just so that you would finish, just so that we could go home and move on with our day. But I've seen what you've done now. My boat is literally sinking. Uh, spare my life, please. Don't, don't kill me like this. I'll do whatever it takes. Like, this is incredible. This miracle, don't kill me. Verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this catch of a lifetime that was bringing down their nets and boats, they just walked away from. I mean, they just struck gold right here. 
How many fish, how well would that taken care of them? They could have taken that money, invested it into their business, and bought more boats and more nets and caught more fish and more, made more money. But instead, they left all of it there. Said, so, no, like, I've seen what this guy's capable of, so I'm going with him, whatever it costs. Whatever it costs, take all my fish, take all my boats. I don't want it anymore. I want what this guy has. Because he told me to do something, I did it, and look what happened. Look at what happened. I, I've got to go. I've got to go. So as we start to really talk about Scripture, and as we start to understand the point here, like I mentioned earlier, that it's just obedience. It's just obedience that, that Christianity is not some complex theological. Now, I love theology. Don't get me wrong. I love talking about weird stuff and quoting weird guys and all that kind of stuff. But if we're not careful, that, distingu- that takes away from uh, obedience, It takes away from what we're supposed to be doing. We're looking busy and we're acting righteous. We're acting like we've got our stuff together. But at the end of the day, we're not being more obedient than anyone else. We just look like we know what we're talking about. Right? We just look like we know. Like, I've quoted this before. I love this quote by Francis Tan. Um, He was talking about his daughter and said, um, what if, what would happen if, and parents, this is, maybe kids you understand, or students you understand this, but from a parent's perspective, this would not end well. Simple command, Aubrin, go clean your room. Any questions? Go clean your room. Okay. She comes back to me three hours later. Hey, Aubrin, did you clean your room? Uh, No, Dad, but I memorized what you told me. I I memorized clean your room. Dad said it just like you. You proud of me? Aubrin, clean your room. Does that sound like you, Dad? That sounds cool, right? Right. But guess what, Dad? Uh, in a couple hours, some of my friends are coming over. Lucas from down the street and Isabella, they're going to come over, and we're actually going to go into my room and make a plan of what it would look like if we actually cleaned our room. Isn't that cool, Dad? Aren't you proud of me? No. No, I'm not proud of you. I didn't ask you to memorize clean your room. I didn't ask you to just hypothetically talk about what it would look like if you cleaned your room. I ask you to clean your room. It's not that complicated. But somehow, in Christianity today, we've misconstrued the Bible and what God asks us to do. And we've made it more about memorizing. I mean, I've got clean your room memorizing the Greek, Dad. I don't even speak Greek. What are you talking? Well, that's what the Bible's written in. No. Obedience. Clean your room. So if we were to look at like a storyboard, any journalism writers in here? All right, just one. So if we were to look from a storyboard, this is kind of what the story, the narrative of what we just read. Here, doubt, faith, risk, results, proclamation, astonished, total life change. That's kind of the storyboard. That's the script of what took place in Luke 5, 1 through 11. Jesus told Simon to go cast out your nets. Did he hear? Yes, okay. Um, What was his response? Doubt, right? Uh, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about, man. We've already washed the nets up. We're ready to go home. Okay. Risk. Risk. Was their reputation at stake? Right? Was their marriage at stake? Were you hanging out with that Jesus guy again? I told you to come home after work, right? They were risking a lot by going out there, their time, their energy, their money, all this kind of stuff to go out there and potentially make fools of themselves. Because what's on the shore, do you guys remember? Huge crowds. 
So people were watching what they're doing, but they had faith. Had faith. And we got to talk about faith in a little bit. Because their response wasn't, well, we'll just do this to shut you up. We'll just do it to finish. Because you say so. Because you've told me to do this, I'm going to do this. So I'm putting all my stock in you. And if this thing goes, goes south, it's your fault because I'm trusting you. The risk, they did it, they rode out, and now their nets are breaking. And the results are huge. No one has seen a catch like this ever. The boats are sinking, the nets are breaking uh, proclamation when Simon says, depart, like, no, 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 I, gotta, I know who you are now. Get away from me because you're going to kill me. Everyone was astonished when you look at all of the partners, what just happened. They were astonished, and it led to total life change. Now, if we were, we're going to start nitpicking some of this a little bit, but just the question to wrestle with, has obedience to the gospel looked like this for you? Has obedience to the Bible looked like this for you. Because here, again, every time I communicate the Bible, I know there's at least two groups of people in this room. There's the people that have grown up in church their entire life. They know the Bible backwards and forwards, um, and they've just always been around it. That's all they've known. I think we joke around that they were born on the church pew. Like, that's just where they were born. That's my story. I was drugged to church my entire life, and I love it. I would not have it any other way. But then there's the other group of people that worth that they didn't grow up in church, they don't know the Bible, they don't know anything. And so I have to communicate to two different camps of people um, without sounding like it's the same. Because for some of us, this is a scary thing for us when we start to realize if that's what obedience looks like, it leads to total life change. I don't know if I've ever been obedient to the gospel ever. But for some of us, we're going, man, I, I want life change. That's why I'm here. That's why I came to church. That's why I showed up on a rainy night. That's why I came here to the branch because I need some life change because what's going on in my life right now, I don't, I don't want anymore. So I'm ready for this obedience. I'm ready for this change. So James 1, 22 through 26 says this, and we'll just read 22 and 23. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Read that again. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who intently looks at his face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the man who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, but no, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." Not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. That's what obedience looks like for us. So for half of us, we can't play this game anymore. For half of us, we're at, God is asking for higher obedience. For the other half, let me tell you what obedience looks like to the gospel. Because there's two different stories. And so um, being a dad and wrestling with this idea of obedience, um, when you look at this flow chart, there's really two kind of distinctions. There's what the one being obedient or what the child does. And then the other side is what the father does in this level of obedience. And so let's break down the first one first. Obedience from our perspective, from the children, is to hear, to doubt, to have faith, and to risk. Are we listening? Do we know what it means to listen to the Bible? 
Do we know what it means to listen? Have you heard the voice of the Lord? Now again, we're no like um, super charismatic here. Uh, yes, does the Holy Spirit speak? Can you hear the voice of the Lord? Sure, but you know the 99.99999% way you're going to hear from God? The Bible, right? The inspired word of God. So if you want to know what God is asking of you, if you want to know what's going on, man, it's all in Scripture. And I know, trust me, I know Scripture can be super confusing. So there's awesome guides that help you read and understand, and we can get you some of those if you're interested. But you've got the Bible. You've got this. You've got community. Um, you've got people that can call out sin in your life. You've got the church that walks alongside of you, that encourages you, that supports you, that helps you remember truth. And then you also have the Holy Spirit that teaches you and will draw messages out for you from God. That's how we listen. But I know I have kids, um, and I know even during premarital, one of the things that my wife and I do when we do premarital counseling, uh, like between August and May, we're going to be at doing um, or in 10 weddings. Like this is wedding season for sure. So we're having couples over, it seems like almost every week, doing premarital counseling, making sure they're ready for marriage. And one of the things that we were, that was done to us that we start doing is literally like grabbing their face. <laughs> so when the husband and wife communicate, okay, now husband, grab your wife's face and repeat back what I heard you say was, you wanted me to get bread from the grocery store. Is that correct? Yeah. That's what I said. Okay, cool. Because if you don't clarify that, the husband's going to come home with oil and sushi and coffee and not actually have any bread. And that's where fights come from. So actually, like, we do this and it's funny and like, uh, it was, yeah, it's been a major breakthrough for a lot of couples just having that. I hear what you say. And so my question is like, do we hear what the Bible says? Is it clear enough for us what the Bible is asking us to do? Can we hear the second one is doubt. The second one is doubt. And let me be clear here for a second because um, we probably say majority of us aren't doubters, um, but we are. And I can tell just by the way we interact and the way we live. Uh, any skeptics in here by nature? You're just skeptical of everything. Even what I'm saying right now, you're analyzing the entire time, just totally skeptical. I'm that same way. Like, I don't take, I have discernment. I don't take anything at face value. If you ask people really close to me, I really frustrate them sometimes because even when they're just telling a story and I know something's not true, I'll say, bro, uh, that's not true. Like, it's just a story. What does it matter? Like, well, I'm sorry. That's false. Um, so I'm, I'm analyzing everything. I'm super critical. And so when we talk about doubting in the way we live, when we doubt, that means that we think our way is better that we are putting more stock in ourselves than anything else. That's what it really means to doubt. And so when we read scripture, or when someone gives us advice, hey, maybe you think about doing this, and we say, no, we shrug it off, I'm not gonna do that. What we're implying, what we're saying is, you're moron, my way's better. I mean, just as candid as that. Maybe you wouldn't use that language, maybe you're a nice person. But that's what, we're, that's what we mean when we doubt. I don't think what you're saying is true. And so we just need to be clear that when we doubt, when Simon doubted Jesus on the boat, that's what we mean. You're not strong enough. You don't have enough money. You don't have time. You don't have enough energy. I'm doubting your performance. So when we doubt, when we hear what God has asked us to do and we doubt it, that means that we don't really think God is capable of accomplishing that, whatever this is. That's what doubt means. 
And the next step that we went into is faith. Now faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. By nature, do you think we have faith? Just in general, do we have faith? Did anyone check your seat to make sure it would hold you before you sat down? Did anybody check your brake lines on the way here? No. Just to make sure no one cut your brake lines. Because you'd have a little break to begin with, but then surely you're... Never mind. It's going to sound creepy that I've researched cutting people's brake lines. <laughs> it's okay. This is a safe place, right? This is a place I can confess? All right. Anyways, so we, by nature, we have faith in things. We trust in things that we cannot see. And if we're really, again, analyzing ourselves, we put a lot of faith in things that don't need to be trusted in. And we put a lot of faith and energy in things that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't deserve our faith. It doesn't deserve our loyalty. It doesn't deserve taking this big risk. Yet, when we've got the God of the universe, we're really timid to trust him and put faith in him. But maybe we just try it. Simon just tried it, right? Still skeptical, still doubting. He tried it and he took the risk. Now, who's risk averse in here? Who, who doesn't enjoy risks? I'll say that way. Doesn't enjoy, who loves risk? We'll just do whatever, whenever, wherever, just doesn't matter. Anybody? Here's what I'm starting to understand about myself as I'm getting older. Now, I'm a pansy okay? I don't enjoy adrenaline. I don't enjoy the thought of hurting myself um, because I was kind of like, I used to like risk growing up until you get a couple injuries, uh, and then risk is no longer fun anymore. So when we talk about faith, we talk about obedience, there's always this chance of taking a risk. This thing might end really badly, that I might do this, and I might take a chance. I might actually try to be obedient to what God is asking me to do, and this thing is not going to end well, that I'm going to get hurt in this that what God asked me to do might actually cost me something. I'm going to put my risk, I'm going to put all my energy into this. I'm going to be obedient, knowing full well this thing might blow up in my hands. Are you willing to take that risk? I remember uh, it, it was a big moment for me a couple weeks ago. Well, it was during the summer, not a couple weeks ago. Uh, we got some free tickets to Six Flags. My wife was uber pregnant, like that whole, like, Putting the, wasn't a good idea for a baby, evidently. So I ended up taking Auburn with me. And we went to Six Flags, and she was having so much fun. And I was surprised at all the rides she was riding because just a couple years ago at the fair, she wouldn't touch anything. That she had no risk, that she had no faith in the machinery. And so watching her grow up to ride everything at Six Flags was so energetic for me just to watch her have fun. And so now I'm in the same phase with Grady. Literally, all he does is play with trucks, play with tractors. If he's bored, I pull up rock crawling on my iPhone, and he'll sit there and watch rock crawling literally all day, which is just like over big old Jeeps that are making it up literally mountains. That's what rock crawling is, and that's what he enjoys to watch. Um, his uncle has all those equipment. He has all the fun trucks and rock crawlers and all this kind of stuff, but Grady won't touch it for anything. He likes to look at it. But I know how much fun he would have. Just get in there, just have fun. Go ride a four-wheeler, go ride a razor, go hop in the truck. Go. That's what you want to do, but you have no faith that you're going to be okay. You're not willing to take the risk. You're doubting. You just won't do it. And so everything for me, I want him to be obedient because I know that's where joy is going to come from for him. 
So the other half that when we start getting into is from God's perspective, from the Father's perspective. Yes, it's going to be scary. Yes, take a risk. Yes, have faith in me. Don't doubt because I promise you what's coming on the other end is going to be huge. Um, How many people would say we've actually seen a miracle take place? Like you've literally seen a miracle that you cannot justify, that you cannot explain away, that you have literally seen a miracle take place. Just curious, raise your hand. That you have seen a miracle with your own eyes. Three people? Don't we want to? I mean, don't we want to see something take place that we wouldn't believe would take place? Don't we want to ask God for something and then it happens? I mean, I joke about this all the time, but I'm being dead serious. Every time I walk into a funeral home, my first thought is, get up out of there. It's going to happen one day. I got to say, it's going to happen. That's my first thought. When I go up to the grave, my first thought is, get up. In Jesus' name, get up. When it really happens, just go ahead and put me in the coffin because I'm going to stroke out right there. <laughs> It'll just be a one for one. Like, hey, family, you already paid for that. Can my husband have that? Cool, okay, thanks. It's just that quick. But don't we want to see miracles? Let me me maybe ask another way. Is the reason we don't really genuinely have faith because we've never seen Jesus show up in a big way? I know my wife loves me because I see it all the time. Do we know God loves us? Have we ever actually given him an opportunity to have a miracle? Have we been obedient to the point where I'm going to take a risk that seems crazy, but I have so much faith in you, God, that you're going to provide a miracle? That God is after our joy. He doesn't want us to be obedient because he's some slave master just cracking the whip. You better do what I say. He wants us to be obedient so that we can see him do incredible things. So we can see miracles take place. So that we can see two boats sinking because there's so much stinking fish. When just a couple hours before, we didn't catch a thing. He wants us to see miracles. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to see miracles. I want to be in a room where we all sit around and go, that's crazy, and no one can explain that. I mean, I just a couple things that my wife and I have experienced. Um, we prayed just a quick, simple prayer. We bought a Honda Odyssey. Two weeks after the Honda Odyssey, the motor or the transmission went out. Convenient, 1800 bucks. Um, I get the mail. I go inside. We had prayed, hey, God, would you please provide a way for this? Go sit down on the throne, going through the mail, Check for $1,875. Said that we had overpaid the hospital. I'm pretty financially tight. I didn't overpay anybody. Miracle in my hands. Hey, all right, mechanic, here you go. I don't have to go, hey, uh, can you like loan me $1,800? No, miracle takes place right in front of us. A couple weeks ago, we had in this room, we had two girls con- uh, be saved, commit to Christ for their entire life. Is that a miracle? Yeah, I'm an idiot. I blabber. I just talk. They did not come to faith. God did not save them because I'm an incredible communicator. If so, I would be making a lot more money somewhere else. Miracle in front of us. But it takes obedience. It takes us to do something. And what about this? The proclamation um, uh, the, God wants us to be able to brag on, to talk about what we see. He wants us to proclaim his goodness 
After the miracle, he wants us the proclamation of, hey, like this is a little crazy. This is actually freaking me out a little bit because I didn't think you were going to come through like this. Guys, you got to come check out what my dad did. When I got that check in the mail, when my wife and I got the check in the mail, did we ever brag about what we had done? No, because what would I have bragged about? I'm an idiot and I overpaid the hospital and I got it back. Right? Like, no, there's nothing to brag about in that story other than Jesus performed a miracle in front of us that he knew that we needed the money and he provided. So we just proclaim the goodness of God. And that they were astonished. I think all of us understand the idea of being astonished, right? Like we get to the beach and we see the sunset coming over the beach or the mountains. or We understand the awe. When we see what only God can do, we are in awe. But do you think that's just every now and then? Or do you think God wants us to live a life where we're astonished constantly by the miracles that he's providing for us? When it just comes down to obedience. And ultimately, it all comes down to life change. That when we see God act, when we see God do only what he can do, when we take a step out in faith, when we take a risk actually trusting him and being obedient to him, we see it take place. Right? Now, here's the deal. Here's, I know there's a couple thoughts as we start closing this thing out. I know there's a couple thoughts when we talk about obedience. Because what we think of when we, oh, like we need to be obedient. A couple weeks ago, we had the Routons. Anyone remember the Routons? They came and spoke. Um, they sold literally everything they had, and they moved to India forever, potentially. They're going to go try to reach out to the people of India. They sold everything they had. They're going. They're being obedient. Such a, I mean, it's a cool story. We've got other missionaries that we support um, in Central Asia. Like we can't even tell you what town it is uh, because it's illegal for them to be there. That's obedient, right? Like that's a crazy, crazy level of obedience. Um, we've got friends in Ghana. We've got people that were feeling and sensing that God was asking them to sell everything they had and go. And they did. And that's obedience so we can celebrate. But I think that's few and far between. I think the majority of us, we have some level of obedience that we probably need to take care of soon. We have obedience that it wouldn't require you selling everything you had. It would require you making a phone call tonight when you leave here. That you would have the faith of what God is asking you to do and you would take the risk and make a phone call. That you would reach out to someone that you didn't really want to reach out to. Because you remember, the miracle take place after Simon went out in the deep waters where he wasn't used to and he went out during the day which he wasn't used to. So this taking a risk, this shouldn't come easy for us. Obedience is not what our hearts want, but ultimately it's the best for us. So here's five or six categories, uh, and I'll make this quick as we start to wrap up. Um, and here's my prayer for us. As we start thinking about being obedient, um, man, like, would you do it? If one of these stick out, and I know the Spirit well enough to know that He's already convicting and He's bringing names to your heart. Would you do it? The first one is forgive. If God, is God asking you to forgive someone that's hurting you badly? Are you willing to take the risk and be obedient and see a miracle take place just because you pick up the phone and you forgive someone? Does forgiveness come easy for all of us? Sometimes, someone cuts you off in traffic, I'd really like to shoot you, but I forgive you instead. Look how holy I am. But I know some of us have been wounded to the core, and forgiveness is not easy. 
I know some of us feel like someone has stabbed us in the back. And the last thing we want to do is forgive. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So we hear that we're supposed to forgive. We doubt that forgiveness would do anything. But I'm asking, would you have faith and would you take the risk to forgive someone? Maybe that's not it. Maybe you're good with everyone. Uh, maybe it's love. We love those that are, it's easy to love, right? I'm a loving person, except for that group of people. I love my friends really well, but everyone outside of that friend circle, no, all right, 1 John 4, 9 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does, who does not love his brother whom he has, not, has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. So I know as we're reading this, some of you know exactly who you need to love, who we haven't wanted to. Would you hear scripture? Would you get rid of your doubts? Would you take the risk and love someone that needs to be loved? It's not going to make sense to you and it's going to be really confusing to you. Just like Simon in the boat. But would you love? <clears throat> what about this? Um, I'm going to skip over one real fast. How about worry? There's, I mean, just being honest, I'm a worrier. Anyone else? Anyone else have like just anxiety things? This is sidebar and totally not relevant, but kind of relevant. Um, <laughs> I have some family that are on like anti-anxiety medicine. And so my whole life, we just, it's a little blue pill. And so we just said, hey, like when that, this family member was acting a little crazy, like, hey, just go take the blue pill. You'll be fine. So I was preaching <laughs> a couple months ago at my home church. Um, you know what else is a blue pill? Viagra, right? That's a blue pill. So not knowing that side of the story, I said, I don't know, maybe I just need to take the blue pill. <laughs> and about, what, 250 people and all the men just kind of like, what did you just say? <laughs> Didn't know it. I had no idea what I just said other than like, this seems weird. Like, are y'all not okay with me taking anti-anxiety medicine? I found out later that I was going to take Viagra. <laughs> so anyways, I guess it has nothing to do with, let's bring it back. That just cracks me up. I think I need to be on that kind of stuff. I worry constantly about things that I cannot change. Uh, my wife can testify. I'll ask her the same question six times. And she just has to constantly reassure me that things are okay, that things are okay, that things are okay. And so Matthew 6, 25 through 34 has always been a verse for me. And we'll just say, we'll just read verse 34, but I encourage you, if this is you, write it all down. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So the big theme of Matthew 6 is saying, what can you control? Do you see the birds in the field? Or the birds in the air? Do you see the flowers of the field? What did they do? Nothing. Those flowers in the field are more beautiful than any girl on her wedding day. And what did they do? Nothing. God provided for them. 
These birds of the air, God's providing for them. How dare you think that God's not going to provide for you? And I understand it, but I don't believe it. I don't have faith to think that's true. So what do I do? I overanalyze my money. Right? What do I do? I worry about, are we actually going to be able to provide for four kids? I didn't think about the fact that guys, like men, pay for their daughter's weddings. You laugh. I freaked out. I was already worried about college. Why did you give me three girls, Jesus? Give me a break, man. Hmm. Better marry a doctor, that's all I'm saying. Right? But, man, am I going to be obedient? Am I not going to worry because I have faith that God's going to provide? Do I ever, have I ever had a reason not to have faith in that? Of course not. But I still struggle with that. Or maybe another one. Um, salvation, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we really believe that Jesus loves us in our mess? Do we really believe that John 3.16 is true, that he came and died on the cross so that we can have the free gift of eternal life? Do we actually believe that we're saved? Are we still trying to take care of that stuff on ourselves? Are we still trying to follow all the rules because we don't have faith that when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he actually meant it. He actually meant that all of our sins, all of the atonement has been taken care of and we are a new creation. So maybe it's salvation for us that we don't actually have faith that salvation, we've never been obedient to salvation. We're still trying to do it on our own. Or with that, we've got baptism, Acts twenty-two sixteen, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So maybe some of us believe in the gospel. We feel like we've saved, but we've never actually taken the steps of obedience to baptism. We know that baptism is the, it doesn't save you, but it's a public sign of being saved. It's the public proclamation that I am now a Christian. And maybe we just haven't taken that step of obedience out of faith, out of doubt, out of worry, whatever it is. Or maybe if you've grown up in church, here's probably the last one we'll land on. Um, are you being obedient to the Great Commission? Are we making disciples who make disciples? Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's one of those, we don't have to study and debate this and exegete it properly and figure out what these words mean in the Greek. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 is pretty simple. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Any questions? Go as you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what I've taught you, teach them. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So if we've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15 years, and we've never actually been obedient to the fact of making disciples, we've got to ask ourselves why. We've got to really look into our hearts. Why am I not being obedient to the King of Kings? Why am I not being obedient to my dad? Do you think he's pleased with us? Because you come to church some, and you're part of a small group, but I've never actually done what he's asked me to do. I memorized clean your room, and I talked to my friends about what would it look like if we clean our room, but I've never actually cleaned my room. Have we ever been obedient to what God has asked us to do? And I've talked to numerous, numerous counseling sessions of people going, man, this Christianity thing, it's just, it's just not for me. 
Like I came to church for a little while. I tried to read my Bible, but it's just, it's just not for me. I say, yeah, I, I agree. Did you grow up playing sports? Yeah, I grew up playing sports. Okay. Um, would you enjoy playing sports if you just sat on the bench the whole time? If you got your baseball bag and you were ready to go and you showed up to the first game and said, hey, man, you want to get out in the field and play? No, 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 I'm good. I really like this dugout, bro. It's good. It's good. I got my sunflower seeds. Look like I'm part of the team. I'm good. Game number 17 comes around. Okay, you can come play if you want to. You want to get out in the field and play? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little frustrated, though. This whole baseball thing isn't what I thought it was going to be. But I'm okay. I'm okay. You guys play. I I enjoy watching. It's good. It's good. Day game 20 rolls around. You don't want to play anymore. You get tired of showing up. Because all you're doing is sitting there. You don't understand the point of it. You, you don't understand Christianity until you're being obedient to what he's asking you to do. Right? That's what obedience looks like, is joining in with the work that God's already doing. So if you've grown up in church and, and making disciples, this isn't what you've done. You, don't, you think, ah, oh, like everyone else makes disciples. I don't make disciples. I mean, I'll say this till I'm blue in the feast. Yes, you do. Yeah, you talk to people about stuff all the time. I've used this analogy all the time. YNAB, anyone ever heard of it? All right, yeah, because I say this all the time. YNAB is the greatest budgeting app you'll ever find in your entire life. But seriously, every time I go to Walmart, uh, I, I punch in the number as I'm going. My wife and I don't fight about money anymore because we have this awesome budgeting software. It's called YNAB. It's $5 a month. You guys should go get it. Every time I go to Walmart, I'm checking out and I'm putting, hey, have you heard of YNAB? Bro, this thing's awesome. You need to get YNAB. It's awesome. Every time I go to Zaxby's, hey, man, you ever heard of YNAB? I'm putting in my money right now. This is perfect. It's a great budgeting software. If you know me, you know YNAB. Is that true for Jesus? If you know me, you know Jesus. Is that true? And I mean, let me be the first to confess. I'm a pastor, and that's not true for me. That's just where I am. Discipleship is not always primary for me. You know why? Because I'm afraid of the risk. I'm a people pleaser. I love people. I don't want to take the risk and put my faith out there all the time in case someone rejects me. So for me, am I obedient obedient to making disciples? No, and I can tell you exactly where. So for us, where is it that we're not taking the risk, that we don't have faith, we're still wrestling with doubt, we're not being obedient? Um, If you're not involved in the missional community, you need to be, because Jeremy uh, Lavender was at our missional community Friday, and he pointed me to this quote on accident, but I just love it. It's a guy, a guy named George McDonald and says, Instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, whether you believe in God or not, ask yourself whether you have this day done one thing because he said do it, or once abstained because he said don't do it. It is simply absurd to say you believe or even want to believe in him if you do not do anything he tells you. It is simply absurd to say you believe if you don't do anything he tells you. Obedience. It's the pillar of the gospel. It is what Christianity is. And so my prayer for us as a church, as individuals, is that we would be known as a Luke 5-5 church. That we would be known as the group of people that because he said so, we did it. And that's going to look wild for us. I'm not talking, oh, we're going to do a VBS. It's going to be awesome. No, I'm talking things that don't make sense to the world. 
Things that look like us going out fishing during the day when we're supposed to go at night. That looks like us going to deep waters when all of our rigs are made for shallow water. I'm talking things that look crazy. I want us to be that church. I want to have that level of obedience. I want us to have that level of obedience that just doesn't make sense to everyone around us. But we're seeing miracle after miracle after miracle because all we did was trust and have faith that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. But here's the last step of obedience. You can't trust him until you try. You cannot trust him. You cannot tell me obedience doesn't work, the gospel doesn't work until you try. You gotta get out of the dugout. You've got to actually say, this is what Scripture says, and I did it, and please tell me if it lets you down. It might not be the instant result, but please tell me if it lets you down, because I would be shocked. I would be shocked. And maybe you're on the other side. Maybe uh, you've grown up in church, but you're just, this Christianity thing's getting really stale to you. I would ask, when's the last thing you did that required faith? What was the last time you were truly obedient? Tell me that, and let's talk about the staleness out of it. But as we close, um, and, and we close the same way, we close with communion uh, because it's, it's huge for us. Um, Corinthians talks about communion, talks about, man, it's for the believers. It's something the church celebrates, that if our hearts and minds aren't ready for it, that it could actually curse us. It's not a good thing for us to partake um, if we're just doing it because everyone else is doing it. So that's why we set it up in the back, like only take communion if you're ready for it. But the reason we take communion, the reason we celebrate um, is because the person that's asking us to have faith is the same person that made the way for us. This person that's asking us just to trust us shows us how much he loved us on the cross. Would you die for you? Now that's the question. Would you die for someone on death row? No, of course not. But Christ died for us and all of our sin and all of our wickedness and all of our iniquities and everything that we are. And that's what, that's what Christ did. He came and died for us because he loves us. And so when he asks us to do something, he means it. And he knows that that's for our joy, that's best for us. I don't ask my kids to do things just for the heck of it, just to make me laugh. Well, sometimes I do. But deep, sincerely, when I ask my kids to do something, it's because it's what's best for them. And if they don't, it's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to pain. It's going to lead to heartbreak. It's going to lead to hurt because I love them that much. So when God is asking us to take the faith, to take a step of obedience, he's asking us because it's really what's best for us. So I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion just to remember that whatever the hard thing God is asking you to do right now, He's asking us because he first loved us. So let us be obedient in that because he first loved us. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, I don't, I don't begin to understand why you would love us and why you would want the best for us. Now, Father, because we've done nothing for you. God, we, we, we can't do anything good on our own. Everything I touch, I screw up. Even though I try my hardest, I'm going to mess something up. But God, you still love us. You still care for us. You still make a way for us. And so tonight, Father, as we think about you and what you're asking us to do, God, I pray for boldness for our church. 
God, I pray that we would actually take a big step of obedience and do what you're asking us to do, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's loving someone we shouldn't. Father, maybe it's uh, walking into salvation for the first time, that actually admitting that, man, I haven't been living out obedience. I haven't really believed that Jesus died for me, and tonight I'm going to take the step of obedience. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's worry. Uh, maybe it's a slew of things. But I think we all understand we're all wrestling with something that you've called us to do that we just have yet to do. So, Father, would you reveal to us what you want for us? Would you reveal for us where we're uh, being disobedient? God, if we don't feel you, if we think that we're, you're not around, maybe we need to look back to the last thing you've asked us to do. And maybe you're staying silent till we're obedient. So God, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the faith? Would you give us the wisdom to not doubt, to take a risk, to hold you at your word, that when you tell us to do something crazy, God, that we actually do it. And as we take communion tonight as believers, God, would we just be reminded of all that you've already done for us and that we can have assurance that we do trust you and that you do love us. So therefore, we can be obedient to the crazy things you're calling us to do. Whether it's moving across the world or picking up the phone tonight and calling someone and forgiving them. Maybe it's finally telling someone about Jesus or just committing that we're not going to worry about finances anymore. Maybe it's being obedient to baptism. Or maybe, God, there's already a name on our heart that we just need to love and take to lunch tomorrow. That we want to be obedient, not to earn your love, God, but because how much you've already loved us. So let us be the because you said so, church that whatever you ask, we hear and we do. In your name we pray, amen.